Hello, people. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I'm Justin Phillips. And I'm Soleho. How's it going, Justin? What's up? <laughs> How's it going? What's up? You you looking around? It's the, This is terrifying. We're living in terrifying times, Soleil. I don't, I, Why is it so terrifying? We had the pandemic going. Now we have wildfires going. From what I've heard, your apartment is basically smoke-filled at this point. What's it like over there? Yeah, it's kind of like um, an opium den. It's sort of just (laughs) locked up and terrible. (laughs) Okay, I got it. That's a very accurate picture. It's almost too accurate. I get it. It's the thing now where if you check in with someone, or especially if we're doing interviews, we're like, hey, how's it going? And the answer is always like, well, and then you kind of just laugh about it because it's, you know, varying levels of this sucks and you just figure out where you fit in on it. Right. I mean, yes. And on that point, I think our conversation today with Sean Napati and Sean Camacho Prubechu is, you know, along similar lines. I think they're doing okay. They're trying. They they really are like the best boys who are trying their best to like just give everyone a good time. Be nice and hopefully they'll survive this. All right. So for the people who aren't familiar with Prubechu, it is the city's only Guamanian restaurant. We've been covering them for a while. Like I I can remember the days where they're in a new, you know, space in the Mission District, but a long time ago when they were in their kitchen cooking on those like uh, kind of like electric burners, like they, it was, you know, a little makeshift operation and, uh, you know, built up a following and now they have a new space in the Mission District and, you know, we're kind of thriving. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to hear how they've adjusted so far. Thankfully, they have a parking lot next to the restaurant where they can set up an outdoor area. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, they're pretty lucky in the scheme of things. Very much so. And another really interesting thing about them is they have this problem that I have never dealt with in my entire life, where both of the collaborators are named Sean. So just to be clear to the listeners, Sean Naputi is the chef. Prebetu. He uh, chef owner of uh, restaurant Prebetu, uh, located in Sean Camacho is the general manager. Me, Sean Camacho, uh, general manager, owner. Of- they're both from Guam. They're both cool dudes. And they're both talking to us today. We're so interested in hearing from you two about, you know, because like Prebetu is open for outdoor dining and you've been doing takeout and all this stuff. How is all of that going? Wow. It is definitely an interesting journey that we did not think we would be taking this early on especially under the circumstances um first we feel super lucky and blessed that we can have no loss of capacity i'll say that it has been a huge blessing and further we don't have to eat on the street or we don't have to serve food on the street which is again with this landscape has been like a huge plus yeah Um, can you describe the area where like all the your new dining room is? What does it look like? Uh, it's, it's a parking lot turned into this uh, cool cabana, open air <laughs> cabana, if you will. Yeah, I mean, going back to your to that question, it's like, how does it feel? Uh, for us, I think it's just like, it's a new concept every day or every week, you know? Uh, we, we try to implement things, but things don't work out. So it's kind of like, the, you know, that word pivot, we pivot like once a week at least, you know? At least. Just to, yeah. At least, yeah, <laughs> at the least. Uh, whether it's through uh, different platforms like Talk and Uber Eats and all that, you know, 
to go stuff and just how to streamline everything because it's to us i think in the general view it's just like a new concept whole new concept and just like on the fly like you know restaurant impossible on the fly <laughs> yeah it's so, been pretty wild it's been like um you know like he like he said every single week every single day we're, we're adding something to battle some element we didn't think of when we first opened the the patio it was six picnic tables that was it and then the heat was just incredibly unbearable so we bought six umbrellas and then the cold came in and uh, that should be obvious <laughs> but we, we weren't that ready for it we had two heaters so we went and bought six more um you know and we th we're adapting in ways that you know we didn't have we didn't realize like the wind comes down from twin peaks pretty strong down noe valley and what if you know once we put a, a wine glass on the table it takes it off and breaks on the on the parking lot so yeah we had to or, figure or, out yeah so. or on on the kitchen side it's like like we're just saying like the garnish you know like we put a nice garnish and then as we're walking out to deliver the food the garnish slides <laughs> slides right off and i'm just like oh shit like i'm trying to like not touch the food with that whole sense with like i'm wearing a glove you know it's like it's such an ordeal yeah. but it's it's a, it's a challenge but it, you know on that note it's just like um like opening up a new restaurant and a whole new concept where we're just kind of figuring it out every day totally how has it been with customers you, you mentioned that they've been pretty chill lately but um tell us more yeah with the customers I, i'll speak from the front end because i have the most interaction with them um we've had a really great response to our covid protocols for entrance and for dining um, and, you know, that stems from our, you know, we, we did a lot of research and we, you know, again, like Chef said, we, there's been so many instances where we had to add or remove some kind of protocol, but we, I think we nailed it down now where people, when people come in, they're just so thrilled with the fact that we're taking it so seriously. And, you know, it's a little bit of a, you know, the, uh, not resistance, but it's, when once they see how serious it is, they they're taking it back slightly. But once that two minute process is over, it becomes like, wow, this is amazing. I feel so safe. I feel so comfortable. In fact, we have certain people that come to our restaurant. They tell us we're the only place they go to because of the spacious, um, you know, the spacious tables and because of the entrance protocols, uh, which has been encouraging. Just real quick, can you describe the entrance protocols? Yeah, sure. Uh, so once they enter, um, they come around a kind of like a, a rope situation so we can keep the line off the street and keep social distancing, distancing implemented out there as well. Uh, once they approach the first move before we get anything else going is uh, we have a QR code contactless contact trace form, which will ask for their email and a, a brief health declaration that we modeled after the hospitals in San Francisco, which just says, um, have you traveled abroad? Have, have you experienced symptoms? Have you um, spoken or been in interaction with anybody with symptoms? Uh, and then a couple more questions. Um, but mainly that serves a purpose of getting their contact in case anything happens and we can let everybody know who was there. Um, and then further, if they said that they do, you know, if they are experiencing symptoms, then we'll just turn them away. Second step would be the um, contactless temporal scan uh, for temperature. Um, and I have not had one over 
anything over a hundred yet, which is great. Um, but you know, once they get that, like, Oh, this is the first time I've ever had my temperature taken at a restaurant, which again is encouraging for us. Um, after that, we run down a set of rules, which include, but are not limited to, um, when you're in the building for the restaurant or washing your hands, you have to have your mask on 100% of the time for the protection of our team at the table while eating and drinking. You don't have to worry about your mask too much, but we do require once you are finished eating and drinking to pull it up. When you take your mask off, we ask that you don't put it on top of the table. Anywhere else is suitable for us. I even have a, a disposable paper sack for your mask if you need one. And we only do six people per reservation. So if you have more than six in your party, they will have to be at a table six feet away from you. Uh, we do not visit other tables and we don't combine tables for any reason. And uh, if that's okay with you, then we'll take them to their table. Uh, we put a, a sanitizer, a hand sanitizer on every table. And, and then we go on to uh, describe how to order, which again is on a poster at the table with a QR code. And um, one thing that we found right away was, um, you know, running food, what we needed to figure out how to find them. And so, um, you know, we, there's an item on the menu that says start here and we named all our tables after villages from Guam. So instead of table one, you're either sitting at Hagatnya or you're sitting at Talafofo or you're sitting at Totu or, you know, or, or one of any other 10 villages that we named our tables after. Uh, and so they'll go on to the, the app, select their table and then go proceed with ordering. And then that's kind of how the whole situation starts. And, and people are pretty, pretty, um, pretty, I would say, savvy enough with technology where that's never not usually a problem yeah that's that's awesome but yeah that's one thing that i've loved about you guys is that you've been really uh you know you you've had a focused effort on it from the beginning the wild part about all this is that i remember in the very beginning um you know it was a health issue like wearing masks then you know quickly it became politicized and then you had to deal with diners who thought of it that way at like from the beginning of this pandemic until now how have you seen diners kind of transition? Like, are they more, um, they're more accepting now? Like, compare that to the beginning. Like, did you guys have to kind of struggle with people to explain that, you know, it's strictly a health issue? Like, what what has that journey been like for you? Uh, yeah, so I will say this, it's never really been an issue in San Francisco, not for us. Um, and furthermore, we just didn't take shit from anybody. Like that was, that was for us. Like it wasn't like, if you didn't, if you're not, if you're not willing, then we're not, you can't yeah. be here. Yeah. yeah. You can't. I think that was our, 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 uh, our motto was like uh, no mask, no party kind of like thing, you know? Yeah. 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 If you want to get in, care. you have to put a mask on. Yeah. We just didn't care. And if some, we got any resistance, which we had very few instances of, um, that we just said you can go eat across the street and you know and enjoy the street dining out there, but it was never. But but to be to to answer your question about the public, we're so lucky that we didn't have we don't have to deal with those those people who are you know that don't get it. Yeah, that don't get it exactly. <laughs> that are resistant for stupid reasons. We San Francisco has been so uh, you know we're rule followers over here, and and for us, in fact, the the people are more impressed that we're so adamant about certain masks. Like, I won't let you in if you have a valve on your mask. I'll give you a mask, right? Or we'll and, tape it up. Yeah, or yeah, whatever, whatever, however we can get around that. But we have masks, disposable masks. 
And so when they come in and they, you know, oh no, this is a, you know, this mask is fine. You know, I, I'm like, no, it's not actually. And again, like we just don't, it's our rules for our safety. It's not for them, you know? Yeah. Because they have a choice not to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but my guy washing the dishes has no choice but to mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And so I, we want to protect our team first and foremost, but then that translates very nicely to the guests. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, on that note, it's like, it's so encouraging when, um, when you just hear the customer just kind of embrace how, you know, all the protocols that were taken and it just kind of puts that steam under a fire and just like, you know, just just keep doing what we're doing. And then I think the word will get out. And on, on, on that other note on saying like people trying to resist, like we were hoping people would resist <laughs> just to, just for that PR kind of thing, you know? <laughs> like, please, please, yeah, somebody, let, like, please. Let us, let's have an issue out. so that we can make a big deal out of it. But nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody had but an nobody issue. Was, everyone everyone just took it. You know, what someone told me um, two days ago, which I never really thought about, um, actually had a dinner with six or five of her friends. And, you know, I was asking them, you know, at the end of the day, how everything was. And, She's like, I just want to say thank you for telling us what to do. She said, all too often I go to a restaurant and I don't know what, what, whether I should cover when you guys approach the table, whether I need to do this or that or the other. She said, here, I, you told me before I even sat down what to do. And I appreciate that so much because I just want to know how to do it right. And I think that speaks of a San Francisco population than any other place. But yeah. I never thought of that before. I never thought that we were giving a service to confused or or unknowing diners i was again we always did it because we were protecting our team mm. no and also just like us watching um the neighborhood you know other restaurants it kind of like gives us some self-pride and um on speaking on that is like we had a customer uh was that friday night camacho that saw us from across the street yeah and did not feel comfortable at that restaurant. So they came to our restaurant. Yeah, he sat, he <laughs> didn't feel safe. He sat and, down across the street and saw like, you know, kind of the street people walking around. There was dogs everywhere. There was a public bathroom two feet from his table. And you know, he didn't even know what Guam food was. He didn't know yeah. what you at all. He just said, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going over there. He got up and came over and waited for a table. He's seeking you know? asylum. That's really funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, <what it> was. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So since we're talking to Sean and Sean about outdoor dining, I thought it'd be interesting to like, you know, compare it to experiences that you and I have had, Justin, because you've been eating out a little bit, right? Yeah. Slow, slowly, but surely. We've talked about this before where, you know, it's going to be a while till we feel very, very comfortable with it. Right. I mean, tell me about a recent experience. Like, what was that like? So I was in Petaluma. I had dinner at a restaurant there, this place called What a Chicken. And, um, you know, really great. But they had this kind of like really small outdoor space that was set up. And it didn't really feel like overly organized. It was kind of just, you know, like one of those spots that you kind of cobbled together. It was in the parking lot. They, you know, put up some tables. They had um, like a covering for it. So, you know, it felt really easy. There was also nobody else there. Um, So, 
you know, if you sat down, you had your own hand sanitizer, you kind of like kept it clean on your own. And then more recently, so there's a place in my neighborhood uh, in Oakland that's across the street and that place is a little bit more busy and they have, you know, an outdoor parklet set up. But the people that go are much more relaxed about wearing masks, distancing, all of that stuff. And I think part of it is because it's a neighborhood spot and maybe those people know each other and the staff really knows them. But that's a time where I felt kind of overwhelmed where because in the back of my mind, no matter what, I don't know if this is like this is the same way for you. So like, I'm always thinking about the pandemic and Mm. what's the right thing to do. And then when you're in an instance where you see that people are not doing things that you would do or you are doing, you're like, okay, why am I, I'm putting myself at risk. Like, why am I doing this? It's hard to enjoy an experience like that. So I think I've had like two different ends of the spectrum. Um, But what about you? Like, where where are you on, on all of this? So I recently went to a restaurant in Chinatown, actually, in San Francisco, where you sit down. Well, not even like before you sit down, you go to the podium, meet up with a host, and then you get like laser. Like you, there's a temperature taker laser oh, thing. Oh, okay, yeah. And you stand in front of it and it scans your temperature. I don't know how it works. Um, it's very cool. And so you did that, and then they let you sit, and then they give you this document with like eleven rules that you need to abide by. But at the same time, and one of the rules is you have to put your mask on when a server or someone approaches your table. But I saw people not do that. And I also saw servers like just kind of walk up like when we weren't like (laughs) didn't have our masks on. I was like, ah, what the hell? Um, So I think it's all a little bit loosey goosey right now. And that is like the one time I have sat down at a place during the pandemic. And I was like, okay. I mean, I appreciate the rules. I love rules. I love being told where to stand. And who to talk to and who not to talk to. I think that's great in this time of great uncertainty. And, you know, I saw this really funny tweet the other day. And, you know, sorry, talking about tweets is like the opposite of having a personality. But like (laughs) someone was saying that, you know, all this conversation that we're having about people not tipping right during the pandemic should also be tempered with the acknowledgement that the people who are eating out right now are all the worst people on earth. (laughs) That's really good. I mean, like, I don't know if I agree necessarily, but I do see the point of just like, okay, yeah. yeah. I do feel like a little, I, like when I ate out at that Chinese restaurant, I felt a little bit like a piece of crap. So yeah, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm good. I mean, yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, I, I completely agree. Because like right now I'm nitpicking service and the rules, you know, of a restaurant, but it's still people working in that restaurant who are at risk as well. On that note, let's hear from Sean Napati and Sean Camacho about what it's like to actually work in a restaurant right now. The kitchen's running very efficient. I mean, it's like he, like Chef said, there's barely any waste, if at all, because we're, we're shopping so frugally and so limitedly. Um, and, but, it, I mean, even still, like, how do you make, how do you make it work? We, we're, we don't know. Well, one thing is the, lab- the labor has gone down tremendously because we only have the core staff on plus our, our prep manager and then our, our, our head dish guy. But other than that, we went from a team of 20 down to a team of mm, where we at, eight. Eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's pulling all, – all the management is pulling 12 to 14-hour days. Um, you know, even, the, even our, our, our um, 
our lead prep guy, like even when he clocks out, he's, he sees us hustling. He's like, I'm going to wash some dishes for a little while guys, you know, and everyone's putting extra time in because they know like, this is where, this is where home is. And if we can't protect our home, then we're going to, we're going to lose our home. And, and, and I, on that note, it's like these prep guys hear their other buddies, like restaurants closing, you know, a good example. Uh, we kind of share um, one of our, our prep guys with uh, Prairie. So when he came in and he was like, no mas, like finito, mm. like, we're like, what? No way, you know? Yeah. So he, so if you could imagine him kind of trying to communicate his, you know, his feelings and the language that Prairie's given him, like, it's, it's, it's not looking good, man. Yeah. So they're kind of like on their toes, like, you know, like, you know, they're asking us how's business. And, and that means a lot, you know, when, when your prep guys are asking, like, oh, how's, wow. how's the business? Are, yeah, you know, exactly. Are when, when our prep guys are now invested in and how the, they're, 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 they're past making food and they're coming to us saying, what's the health of our business? Like, how can I help keep this going? It's amazing to see, man, like how, like these guys kind of communicate, you know, like, okay, I understand your restaurant went down here. I'll give you some, I'll give you three days, you know? Yeah. So they're swapping sh shifts back and forth to help each other without us even facilitating. They, they just say, you know, Hey, I, I need it. This guy needs a job. I'm going to give him a couple of days. And then Caesar lost his job. Now he got those two days back. It's just been, it's been really, really cool. Like the humanity that's coming out in, the, in this For time. Sure. You're listening to the extra spicy podcast. We will be right back after the break. I'm Justin Phillips, and we're back with Sean Napati and Sean Camacho of Prubetu. Yeah, the, the 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 lines between like job description and job duties have been blurred completely beyond recognition. You know, some days chefs in the pit washing dishes, and some days you know I'll be helping prep something that you know needs to be done because we're so short-handed. Or like I said, like our prep guy will, be, will move over to the pit, or we'll pull our we'll pull our dish guy out to help us bust tables and sanitize tables. Like everybody's just doing everything they can to keep this business moving because they know that, you know, like it, it's it's tangible to them. If 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 Prebetu goes down, then what? You know, and so everybody is. There's no more. That's not my job. You know, every if everything is what can what else can I do? I'm already killing my job. What else can I do? You know, and, and the restaurant, not our restaurant particularly, but, you know, big restaurants tend to have very sort of, you know, brigade style partitions where it's like, prep guys do this, dishwashers do that, you know, chefs do this. And now everybody's doing everything. Yeah. Know? <laughs> which is which is really cool. And like, like you said, like that, that sort of broke down a lot of barriers and a lot of, um, you know, sort of curtains that may have existed that partitioned out knowledge of different aspects of the restaurant but all all that being gone our weekly meetings like you know our, our sous chef uh carlo like he never had a pnl meeting and now he's sitting in on pnl meetings which you know if, when he moves forward like he doesn't may not understand everything now but he's gonna have that language so he's gaining a skill you know that that will help him in the future and same with our dish guy like we pulled our dish guy out to help uh, help bus because we lost one of our front of the house guys you know he had to do something and our dish guy, the guy we, we share time with Prairie, uh, Caesar, he's like, he calls me chef. He said, chef, chef, I, I don't have experience. And I said, don't worry, dude. Like, it's very simple. I'm going to show it to you. And, you know, these, these, these restaurant pros, you show them once, they got it. 
And so all the, all the job duties are being mixed and mingled. And honestly, we, I couldn't be more happy because it's, it, everyone feels everything now. This is really interesting because, you know, the traditional restaurant is so hierarchical, right? Everyone has their job. They have their slot. It's very factory-like. If we think about assembly lines and we think about this person's job is to screw this one specific screw into this one specific hole every day ad nauseum, right? Um, It's kind of the Fordist model of labor. And I think those lines were also justification to pay people differently, right? When we think about tipping versus not tipping, um, you know, why why is it that the dishwasher doesn't get tips when those plates are the ones that people are eating off of, right? Right. I think that, you know, in an ideal situation, if people have to work right now, they would all be getting hazard pay, right? They'd all be getting paid commensurate to the risks that they're taking. And I think the breakdown of job duties speaks to kind of how how things are so topsy-turvy right now. Yeah. I mean, I love the – that's a really good point, talking about how, like, those roles, you know, uh, predicated, like, what somebody would get paid – and I think it's almost, I would love to see after all this is over, you know, that that whole saying, like, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. I would love to see that be of high value in the restaurant world when this is over. Because at some point, you know, no matter how long this lasts, you're going to have workers that are going to be doing multiple things. And maybe before they were an expert, like you said, like, on that conveyor belt kind of, twi- you know, twisting in that one screw kind of thing. But during this, they get so much exposure to other areas, like, that should be appreciated when all this is said and done. I think so. And, you know, there's so much in the restaurant industry that is just reified by these roles, right? Like, there's a reason why so many brown people work in the back, yep. for instance, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and there's a reason why so many immigrants who don't speak English that well are the ones doing dishes or busing. They're kind of in the lower end of the sort of job hierarchy. Yeah. And for that to break down, I think, will be really promising, right? Like maybe someone will be able to meet their potential as a server who hasn't been given a chance to do that before. For I think sure. that will be really cool. Yeah. And also getting, you know, now the conversations about how a business is surviving among the staff is, you know, essential because they're not so much, you know, during good times asking what the books look like would have been inappropriate. You know, why would you ask that kind of question? But now it's significant because they're like, you know, am I going to get paid this week? I would like to know what the probability of that is. And then you have discussions about the finances of a restaurant that kind of stuff stuff stays like we're not always going to be in this tough situation but for serv- you know for workers who had never been given an opportunity to have that discussion they're going to have some financial knowledge walking away from this that's really important and you know if you want to be like really if you want to be really positive about how, how all this goes, like, who knows? Like, maybe one of those people are going to start a business on their own and they're going to be like, hey, I remember when I was at this place and we had a conversations about, you know, our, you know, our ingredients, like what we were going to buy for outdoor dining. Like, this is what the numbers were. Like, it's all information that can be useful down the line. I feel like we could talk about workers forever because it's so interesting, but... For the last part of the interview, we asked the Shans to talk about their customers and just how they've received everything. 
from their menu to the outdoor section to even just the fact of them being open. The general sense that I'm getting, at least in the front of the house, is that people are grateful that we're open. They say that to us all the time. Thank you for being open, which is weird because we're like, thank you for coming. Yeah, people are telling us, thank you so much for, for, for being open. And, you know, that we get thank you for your, for your safety protocols. And so once we open that gate man, and we turn the music on and, you know, people are like, whoa, what? Yeah. What is this? And people come in, they don't even know that we serve Guam food, which is cool. You know, it's a kind of a, <laughs> a little trick we're playing on people. Like now we get to tell you, now we get to tell you about our culture when you didn't even care about it. And, and once they hear it, they're like, oh, that's so interesting. And, you know, with the mission population, they see ceviche and empanada and they wonder why. And it's this, it's this great like interaction of, oh yeah, well we got conquered by the Spanish too, not just you guys. You know? <laughs> yeah, they can get you know um, uh, empanada, and then they can get like you know the the caliguin, which is a ceviche sada, and then they see the barbecue. They see like I call it the like, three the three colonial times, you know, and then <laughs> it's uh, to the Spaniards, the Japanese, and then you know, <laughs> you know they can they can come and get potato salad, and that kind of covers the. The American side of it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole spectrum. Awesome. All the shit with mayonnaise, right? <laughs> yeah, we... All the shit, all yeah, the mayonnaise exactly. shit. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we, I mean, I, 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 I definitely relate to what you're saying about having like a perfect sa snapshot of, of San Francisco's diversity kind of locked up in our food offering. And um, I don't know that people expect that experience when they come to Perpetu, but they certainly leave with that experience. Mm. Um, when they come, they just don't even know, like they don't know what Guam food is, you know, and so they don't, they come with little points of reference, but when they leave, they, then they, they, especially when they talk to us, they, then they, they have a real firm understanding that this food has been all over the world. And now they know like, oh, I can bring my friends here and we can, we can all talk about the familiarities and, and unfamiliarities of it together. It's like a cool activity for them, you know? I think that's a great note to end on. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Sean Camacho and Sean Napati. We really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate oh, you thanks guys. for having yeah. us. But the podcast is awesome. Uh, you guys keep it up. <laughs> thanks. We'll have to visit thanks. you. I, at the I, love, I love the extra spicy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good one. So that's all we have for our interview with Sean Camacho and Sean Napati of Prubechu. For our next segment, we're going to answer some questions by readers, which were actually submitted to me through Instagram. I just ask for questions sometimes. The first question is, what is the best pivot slash reinvention that you have seen a restaurant or bar do? And that is by Instagram user Jay Hultner. Oh, that's a good one. I want to hear. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Soleil? I want to hear this. You know, I think for me, there have been really interesting, like, weird pivots but i like the ones where people are offering like online classes i was just partaking in an online cooking class called the last supper society and they had a segment in the video where they go to friends and family this bar in oakland mm -hmm. and they have the bartender blake cole talk through this cocktail just all the ingredients and they you know blake shakes the cocktail and explains it and it was the same cocktail that they shipped out with all the ingredients that I had to make gumbo also. So I think that's really cool for them to sort of enter this digital zone where they are offering a very personalized kind of service for a class. It just feels really nice uh, to interact in that way. For some reason, that felt more meaningful than just like a simple 
Zoom meeting or just getting takeout. Oh, that's actually really, really cute. There's something more heartfelt about that, I think. Yeah. More, in, more intimate, I guess. Yeah. And I think Last Supper is going to collaborate with a lot more different spots in, in San Francisco as well. But I think that's really promising as, yeah. a, as an approach. I like that. We're going to have to have to take note of this and circle back like when the world returns to a little bit of normalcy. So I'm going to read this uh, this last question. What advice do you have for POC food writers regarding negotiating fair compensation? And this is from Head to Table. That's a really good question. Especially nowadays. This is a wonderful question. I All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to take a little swing at this right now. I feel like my answer now is different than it would have been five years ago. I wouldn't have really been sure how to tell you like what, you know, anytime you're negotiating, you know, when it comes to compensation, um, there's going to be a give and take. You're going to have to, especially if you're a freelancer, you're going to have to risk alienating who an editor is. If you're a staff writer, you know, you have to risk some kind of bad feelings. And considering there was just such a lack of POC food writers in, in all types of media spaces, like, I'm not really sure what I would have told you. I probably would have been like, you know, be careful, be aware of the of your value, make sure you're getting something that's fair, like blah, 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 like stuff that's like right on the borders. I wouldn't have said anything extreme. Now I'd be like, do whatever you can and get as much as possible. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, and I think it's it's a couple of reasons. One, I think over that time I've come to learn there's no winning in being timid when it comes to being a food writer that's also a person of color in this business. Like you should strive for the things that your counterparts who aren't people of color kind of get on a regular basis. And then the other thing is, you know, moving forward, I think there's going to be kind of like an elevated level of importance placed on the perspectives of minority food writers. And that could be, um, you know, a, both a good thing and a bad thing. But I definitely think with this whole like 2020 racial awakening journey that the country's on and a bunch of media outlets are on, um, we have more power just as POC food writers. So I would say take advantage of that. You know, even if you feel like you're worth a certain amount, get more than that. Fight for as much as possible. Be aggressive about it. Be assertive about it because your voice is valuable. And it always has been, but you should definitely be aware of your worth right now. Right. My only thing I want to add to that, which is all very valid and great advice, is one of the few powers that workers have is in sharing how much they make with each other. Oh, yeah. True. So if, especially if you're a freelancer, share your rates. Um, ask people what their rates are. And, you know, if if publication A can pay freelancer B X amount of money, then you can probably get that much too. So talk about it. You know, <laughs> it is legal. It is totally fine. You are allowed to do it. Don't let anyone scare you into thinking that you cannot do it or that it's rude or that it's like, you know, tacky to talk about rates or talk about wages. It'll give you a lot of power. It's information. That's really good advice. And people shouldn't feel weird about that. We all It's journalism. Everybody makes crap money. Everybody <laughs> makes crap money. So, yeah, I think that transparency would be uh, is really helpful. That's a really good point. Zoe. Yeah. Well, good luck out there to all you food writers are hoping to make some bread there you go go get them so that's all we have for today's episode 
Thanks again to Sean Napati and Sean Camacho for being in conversation with us. And thank you to Taya Francesca Price for editing this episode. You can read the transcript of our interview with Sean Napati and Sean Camacho at sfchronicle.com slash spicy. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you might want to give us about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segments at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>